Alright, hello and welcome to my easy journey to occupational therapy and today I will be going to discuss about motor control theory what is motor control theory the key concepts facts and premises of it and how can we compare and contrast one theory from the other theory and I will give some examples or details that are relevant to OT practice. Alright, so let's start on defining motor control theory. Motor control theory is the ability to regulate or direct the mechanism essential to movement. It addresses questions such as how does the central nervous system organize the many individual muscles and joints into coordinated functional movements? How is sensory information from the environment and the body used to select and control movement? And how do our perceptions of ourselves, the tasks we perform, and the environment in which we are moving influence our movement behavior? What is the best way to study movements and how can movement problems be quantified in patients with motor control problems? So we know what is motor control. Let us now talk about what is the theory of motor control. If we say theory of motor control, it describes viewpoints regarding how movement is controlled. It is a group of abstract ideas about the control of movement. And if we see abstract ideas, it means it has different ideas and different opinions. Different ideas about key principles that allow us to understand how functional movements are organized. And different opinions about relative functions, relative importance of this principles so without part further ado let's go straight of what are those motor control theory first let's talk about reflexive theory reflex theory okay without further ado let's go straight of what are those motor control theory today I'm going to discuss four four motor control theory the first is reflex model theory second is the hierarchical model theory the system model theory and the motor program theory now let's discuss first about the reflex model theory so mr charles sherrington a neurophysiologist in the eight, late 1800s he this model, uh, this reflex model theory. He explained that um, that there is a complex behavior that could be explained through the combined actions of individual reflexes that were chained together. He viewed 
the central nervous system as a black box in which a specific sensory input would elicit reflex or stereotype motor output. The sensory feedback from the motor output could trigger other reflexes or stereotype model. This model suggests that human movement was a summation or combination of reflexes. Example is when an agonist muscle is activated, the antagonist is deactivated automatically. A therapy example of using sensory input to elicit a motor output is the use of vibration or tapping over the triceps muscle to elicit elbow extension. Mr. Sherrington says that reflexes are building blocks of complex behavior. And if we say complex behavior, it means organization of reflexes that become variously associated with one another and or with environment contingencies. This reflex theory of motor control has a number of limitations. First, the reflex cannot be considered the basic unit of behavior if both spontaneous and voluntary movements are recognized as acceptable classes of behavior because the reflex must be activated by an outside agent. Second is the reflex theory of motor control does not adequately explain and predict movements that occurs in the absence of a sensory stimulus. More recently, it has been shown that animals can move in a relatively coordinated fashion in the absence of sensory input. Third is, this theory does not explain fast movements, that is, sequence of movements that occur too rapidly to allow for sensory feedback from the preceding movements to trigger the next. For example, an experienced and proficient typist moves from 1K to the next so rapidly that there is no time for sensory information from one K-stroke to activate the next. Fourth, the concept that a chain of reflex can create complex behavior fails to explain the fact that a single stimulus can result in varying, varying responses. Fourth, the concept that a chain of reflexes can create complex behavior fails to explain the fact that a single stimulus can result in varying responses depending on context and descending commands. For example, there are times when we need to uh, override reflexes to achieve a goal. Thus, normally, touching something hot results in a reflexive withdrawal of hand. However, if our child is in fire, we may override the reflexive withdrawal in order to pull the child from the fire. Finally, reflex chaining does not explain ability to produce move, novel movements. Novel movements put together unique combination of stimuli and responses according to rules previously learned. A violinist who has learned a piece on the violin and also knows the technique of playing the cello can play the on a cello without necessarily having practice it on a cello. The violinist has learned the rules of playing the piece and has applied them to the novel situation. 
So, how a reflex theory of motor control be used to interpret a patient's behavior and serve a guide for the therapist's actions? If chain or compounded reflexes are the basis for functional movement, clinical strategies designed to test reflexes should allow the therapist to predict function. In addition, a patient movement behavior would be interpreted in terms of the controlling reflexes. So what are the clinical implications of this is in the context of assessment, movement behavior is interpreted in terms of the presence or absence of controlling reflexes. Example of this are tests for normal and abnormal reflexes. From this perspective, a valuable packet of assessment occur. And if we look in the context of treatment, focus on enhancing or reducing the effect of various reflexes during motor tests. So we can appropriately modify what are we going to do with this uh, reflexes. So treating reflexes has a basic challenges that can be concluded from properly understanding as the motion of reflex. So as we mentioned before, as part of Sherrington reflex theory about is how the stimulus break particular re reflex response can be varies can be very specific to um, very particular situation. Because of this, an important issue is to consider when working with reflexes is whether a stimulus is being provided in the clinic or has the same characteristic in a natural occur stimulus. The second motor control theory is hierarchical theory. So if we see hierarchical theory, it has a control. So hierarchical control in general has been defined as organizational control that is top down. That is each successively higher levels exert control over the level below it. The highest level of the nervous system control the middle level and the middle level control the lowest level. This is similar to the hierarchical structure of many businesses in which the directives go from the president to the vice president to the middle managers and finally to the workers. Some hierarchical models of motor control such as that control of movement originates centrally with executive selecting, planning and initiating of um, motor program to respond to a specific input. The motor program contains the instructions for the effector which carries them out without possibility of modification if something goes wrong. The output is the movement that can be observed. In the clients with normal central nervous system function, the higher levels control the lower levels. But in the, in the clients with the central nervous system dysfunction, it becomes different. The loss of higher level voluntarily control results their 
release of the lower level reflexes. That is why primitive reflexes, spasticity, and abnormal movement patterns dominates movement control. The hierarchical model incorporates an open loop system of control rather than a closed loop system. An open loop sends pre-programmed instructions to an effector that does not use feedback to carry the movement. There is a feed-forward or anticipatory control in, in this hierarchical theory. So, it means that uh, use for rapid movements because there is insufficient time for sensory feedback to influence the outcome of the movement. So, this information is sent ahead to prepare the system for sensory feedback and for future motor command. Example is when a person is standing, he raises an arm, and the center of gravity shifts. Thus, postural adjustment must occur before the movement is initiated in order to maintain balance. So, many postural adjustments that were thought to be equilibrium reactions and response to sensory input have been shown to be anticipatory adjustment prior to self-initiated limb movements. Thus, the subject made postural adjustment in anticipation of changes in their center of gravity. And uh, in hierarchical models of control, this type of behaviors are thought to be part of motor program. In assessment of cranial nervous system dysfunctions that focus on evaluating abnormal movement patterns and muscle tone, are consistent with hierarchical model because those problems are assumed to results from loss of higher level control. Similarly, treatment approaches that focus on inhibiting spasticity and abnormal movement patterns, facilitatory a balance of tone between agonist and antagonist muscle group, and um, eliciting a variety of selected movement patterns are consistent with the hierarchical model. Clearly, um, the neurodevelopmental approach are influenced in this model. One of the limitations of our reflex um, hierarchical theory of motor control is that it cannot explain the dominance of reflex behavior in certain situations in normal adults. For example, stepping on a pin results in immediate withdrawal of the leg. This is an example of reflex within the lowest level of hierarchy dominating motor function. It is an example of bottom-up control. Thus, one must be cautious about assumptions that all low-level behaviors are primitive, immature, and non-adaptive, while all higher-level behaviors are mature, adaptive, and And um, what is the clinical implication of this hierarchical model theory? Um, it says that abnormalities of reflex organization have been used by many clinicians to explain disordered motor 
control in the patients with neurologic disorder. Signed, Bronstrom, a physical therapist who pioneered early stroke rehabilitation, used a reflex hierarchical theory to describe disordered movements following a motor cortex lesion. She stated that when the influence of the higher centers is temporarily or permanently interfered with normal reflexes, becomes exaggerated, and so-called pathological reflexes appear. And Bertha Boba, an English physical therapist, in her discussion of normal, abnormal posture reflex activity in children with cerebral palsy, she stated that the release of motor responses integrated at lower levels from restraining influence of higher centers, especially that of the cortex, leads to abnormal postural reflex activity. The hierarchical motor theory can be used in assessment and treatment approaches. First is, we can use this to identify and prevent primitive reflexes, such as spasticity, abnormal movement pattern, which is results from the injury of the upper motor neuron. And we can use this to facilitate balance of tone, eliciting a variety of selected movement patterns. So, retraining the reflex activity and modifying those into purposeful activity. So, it means that there are more control activity and the higher centers are slowly established for more adaptive movements. The third motor control theory is a motor program theory. So, in this theory, the central nervous system is capable of producing movements without sensory inputs or um, movements can possible without sensory feedback from the responding limbs. And um, there is a neural network in the spinal cord referred as central pattern generators, um, which is capable of producing rhythmic patterns, such as um, walking, hopping, chewing, swallowing, and um, flying. So even when isolated from the brain and sensory inputs. So example is the grasshopper. Even when um, sensory nerve were cut, the nervous system could still generate the output. Uh, it means um, could still generate a movement with no sensory input. Such as um, it may could be um, the wing bit was low. So um, this the this the advantage of this uh, more program theory is um, even though there is an impairment in sensory system. Um, example is tactile system. The patient can still perform a skill that wa that was lost or has uh, difficulty with. Um, uh, example, um, the patient can still sit because he know what how he was sitting before and can rehearse or retrain that movement. However, the disadvantage of this more program theory is all experiments were done in quadruped animals which are very different from bipedals humans and um, second there is a main difference of spinal cord organization between animals and humans so spinal cord of animals can um, resist powerful compressive forces 
And the third is the central processing generator may be um, decreasing bipedals. Uh, experiment shows that quadrupedals, um, the, uh, the front legs of the quadrupedals provide trust while the hind legs just follow. And um, the limitation of this um, motor program theory is that the contribution of the sensory inputs is not properly explain. Next is um, the execution of movements differs when the environmental context change or position uh, or posture change. So um, uh, this uh, motor program theory did not consider the musculoskeletal and the respiratory system contribution. An important um, limitation of the motor program theory concept is that a central motor program cannot be considered to be a s the sole determinant of actions. So, two identical commands to the elbow flexor, for example, will produce different movements depending on whether your arm is r uh, resting at your side or you are holding your arm out in front of you. The forces of gravity will act differently on the limb in the two conditions and thus modify movement. In addition, if your muscles are fatigued, similar nervous system command will yield different results. Thus, um, the motor program concept does not take into account that the nervous system must deal with both musculoskeletal and environmental variables in achieving motor control. And uh, what is the clinical implication of this um, motor program theory? It says that um, um, motor control have allowed clinicians to move beyond a reflex explanation for disordered motor co control. Explanation for um, abnormal movement have been expanded to uh, include problem resulting from abnormalities in central pattern generators or um, in higher level motor programs. Um, in patients with uh, whose um, higher levels of motor program programming are affected, um, motor program theory suggests um, the importance of helping patients relearn the correct rules um, for action. In addition, uh, interventions should focus on uh, retraining movements important to a functional task, not just on re-educating specific muscle in isolation. And the fourth motor control theory, which is uh, the last motor control theory that I'll be discussing, is the system model theory. So in this model of motor control, so um, it is based on system or dynamical system. So it proposes that um, nervous system is organized heterically. So such that um, higher centers interact with lower centers but do not control them. So it means no subsystem is most important. The nervous system is only one system among many that influence in that influence motor behavior. So there is a um, closed loop and open loop system works cooperatively of both feedback and feed forward.
as we remember on the reflexive story it has an open loop, loop system but in this uh, model the system model it has closed loop and the um, open loop system which uh, they work um, um, collaboratively and both feedback and feed for feed forward control are used to achieve this goal but if we can um, look back on the uh, other theory which is the hierarchical theory uh, it has a feed forward but in this system model it has feed for forward and feedback um, that control and that are used to achieve a goal so from this perspective um, motor development is due to changes in multiple system not just maturation of the cranial nervous system so a motor behavior then uh, may be described as a movement pattern that emerge from the interaction of multiple personal system and um, performance context to achieve a functional goal thus um, muscle is not designed to work alone there is a synergy of movement that occurs which is emphasized in this system so a group of muscle working together to uh, produce a coordinated movement towards one goal and the movement patterns that emerge from a given task um, um, for in a given context are stable are, pre are are the preferred means of achieving the functional goal because um, they require the the least amount of energy and the most efficient so this system model emphasizes the reciprocity between the person and the environment so there is a pattern um, is referred to as a to uh, as an attractor because uh, this system falls into the pattern easily and returns to that pattern even when uh, perturbed or interrupted so there is an interaction between the um, personal characteristic um, uh, system of the person and the performance of context or um, the system of the environment so movement uh, produced is not only based on sensor sensory input and uh, cortical actions but it is shaped by the interaction between person environment and uh, the task um, the occupation at hand and example of this um, system model are um, the framework uh, the f uh, uh, the frame of reference is the person uh, environment occupation model so um, we know that uh, occupational performance uh, such as uh, activities of daily living, work, uh, play, and leisure. Um, it emerged from the interaction between uh, personal characteristics, such as um, the cognitive, um, the psychosocial, and the sensory. And uh, performance context, if we say the performance context, it's, it's the physical, the socioeconomic, and cultural, and, and the cultural. So um, there is a change, uh, changes in any one of this, uh, if there is a changes in, in any one of this system, so it, uh, it uh, affects occupational performance and uh, consequently the, the role performance. So um, occupational performance 
affects environment in which it occurs and the person perf performing example is a client with um a close head injury who has just uh, become independent in dressing free his spouse to spend more time with their children before uh, they leave for school um object in the bedroom needs to be accessible to enable that independence so that does the um the occupation performance of dressing affects the social and physical environment it also affects the person and the performance of dressing gives the client to opportunity to solve problem and to feel less dependence in his spouse so um, the system model may be viewed in more general way as it relates to the occupational performance and uh, role performance so which motor control theory is best suit the current theoretical and practical needs for therapists which is the most complete theory of motor control the one that really predicts the nature and cause of movements and is consistent with our current knowledge of brain anatomy and physiology so as you do as you no doubt can already see there is no one theory that has it all we believe the best theory of motor control is one that combines elements from all the theories presented a comprehensive or um, integrated theory organizes the elements of motor control we do know about about and leaves a uh, room for the things we do know about and leaves room for the things that we know and uh, any current theory of motor control is as is served and finished so since there must always be room to revise and incorporate new information.